0: to another episode of all comic interviews uh we have a big one here uh you might know him um uh, mr uh, mark millar uh from the Kingsman, from old man logan from civil war from starlight which was fucking amazing oh uh, see I, I broke the rule already there mark uh <laughs> from lots and lots of books that are all really really good
1: let's just say that uh how's it going things are good things are good it's friday i've just wrapped up work for the day i, I feel very relaxed it's nice what, uh, what are you working on right now? Do you know, I'm looking around my office right now, and I'm, I'm genuinely working on about six different things. And I, I don't know if it's some ADHD thing or something, but I just get really excited and sort of jump onto something else, you know. But, like, uh, at the moment, I'm doing the sequel to Crononauts, the sequel to Starlight, finishing up the Nemesis sequel. Um, what else am I doing? Uh, literally just finishing off Volume 2 of Jupiter's Legacy. Um, I think that that's the sort of stuff that's lying around the office floor. The place looks like, in my mind, it looks like Sherlock Holmes's study. You know, I think, oh, it's really cool and it's interesting and everything. <laughs> but my family come in and they think it looks like a serial killer's den because it's like drawings of people being stabbed and things like that. You know, sort of all over the floor and chewed up apples and things like this.
0: <laughs> well, you know, every, everybody's got their quirks, right? So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you uh, you mentioned uh, Starlight. Uh... Uh, follow up there so first i just want yeah. to kind of jump into that one that was i mean I, i've liked a lot of your work but i think starlight might have been one of my favorites um oh thanks but don't worry something about that series i just i don't know it was just <laughs> that it was that good um is uh goran uh parlov joining you again for the sequel then Oh
1: yeah, yeah, definitely. Goran and I have Got. planned to do three of these. We're going to do three volumes of it, and it's it's a really nice ending. Like the the third one is the concluding volume, you know. Right. And um and Goran and I we have been talking about it, and like the the final couple of scenes, I'm just so happy with, you know, like uh, at the end of volume three. But um, it'll probably be about eighteen months before the whole thing concludes. But but Goran should start drawing later in the year on volume two, and then go straight into volume three. So um. Yeah, it's a real passion project for both of us. Like Goran, it's funny actually because Goran's a guy who's done a lot of uh, real life stuff, um, and he's not obviously known for doing science fiction with things like The Punisher and so on, or any of his European work, really. Um, but he, he was just such a natural for it, and I wanted somebody who had that kind of Mobius vibe. I didn't want it to look like an American comic, as such. I wanted it to have that nineteen eighties kind of Mobius feel to it, you know. And and, uh, and Goran, oh, he's 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 just perfect for it. Like the idea of someone else drawing it would be an abomination to me, really, you know, because he's, he's so, he's so great at it. I love him. Oh, it's, it's just fantastic. I was absolutely blown away just from,
0: from like the first page on, you know, it's just sucked me right in. Uh, and then of course like Corona knots is really good shot. I mean, Sean Murphy is just fantastic. I know when you, when you first announced, I think it was on Twitter or something, you know, you got something coming up with Sean Murphy, you know, I was like, Oh, this is going to be awesome. And it, it paid off.
1: It was really, really cool. Um, and then I noticed, uh, we, we did, we did I mean, he's he, He's been my dream collaborator. Like most of the artists that I work with, are brilliant but slow, and Sean is brilliant and fast, and it was amazing. Like those 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 books, you know, he, he was drawing about six pages a week or something. And I mean, you just looked at the hyper detail and the, just the amazing perspectives the guy does and everything. It was it was a total pleasure, and like the idea of getting him back for *Tornadoes* too. Is, is so great. Like, I feel like it's a jealous ex at the moment because he's, he's off working on another project right now and I'm just sort of slightly miffed, sitting here angry, waiting on him coming back. You know? <laughs> you, uh, you you have a really great,
0: uh, I almost want to call him like the Miller World uh, lineup of artists. Um, you know, you, like from, you got the, the new one you just announced with uh, Albuquerque, uh, Huck there from the, yeah. from Image. Uh, you know, you got uh, Frank Quitely, which obviously, who can say anything bad about him? Um, oh my god <laughs> you know and then and, and Love <laughs> and all that and I mean the, the Miller world itself has had such a crazy lineup of artists how do you how do you find your artists like do you just work on somebody's referral do you you know scour Twitter for somebody you like What what's your kind of process for that
1: it's very varied actually like um, I mean there's there's guys who I'm just friends with and that we want to work together you know like um, you know there's some guys that for five years or something we've said oh we should, we should do something we should definitely do something then there's guys maybe like Johnny Romita, who I worked with when I was at Marvel. So going off to do Kick-Ass after Wolverine together just felt a very natural next step for Johnny and I, you know. So like, um, but then there's, then there's other things. I mean, there are a couple of people who've been sort of recommended to me, like artists that I maybe was, was unaware of, you know, like, uh, you know, like, uh, Goran Parlov actually is a guy that I discovered later than everybody else. You know, everybody else discovered him years back. But I'd like, um, I, I missed a lot of his work. And then when I saw it, I was like, oh, my God. It was one of my friends, Jenny Lee, had had uh, put me on to And I was like, this guy's perfect. Just when I, uh, Sometimes what I'll do is I'll send an email out to maybe 20 or 30 friends who work in the industry and say, look, I'm doing this book. It's about a sort of old Buck Rogers kind of space hero character. I'm looking for something that's got a Mobius vibe. And then I'll see who comes back with some stuff. You know, that that will happen occasionally. And uh, Jenny had recommended Goran. And I, as soon as I saw it, I just madly fell in love with it, you know. Um but then there's even people who, who um I've never met and have never been published. Um like for example Curtis Teaks, the guy who has done my children's book, um I uh, kindergarten heroes, he he drew that. I wrote it and he drew it about two years ago. We sold it as a movie to Fox. and we're holding back the book until the movie comes out, you know, we're we're gonna launch at the same time just to make a big splash. You know? Oh, and yeah. um, that's not gonna be a comic book, it's gonna be a children's book. But uh, you know, Curtis was a guy who was hanging out on my forum, you know, on the Miller World Forum, and there's some amazing talent that's out there that just hasn't been discovered yet, you know, that it's maybe not in the conventional style that they want X-Men or Avengers or something drawn in, you know, but it doesn't mean that they're not fantastic artists, you know, that, that are, they're, they're great with a specific project, so he and I did this little sort of manga-inspired children's thing. You know.
0: uh, that, that's awesome, that's really cool that you're, you know, you're you're always keeping your eye open for, for new talent, and not, not necessarily using the same guys over and over again. I know you can't really overload uh, Frank too much.
1: Um, <laughs> yeah, tell me about you know.
0: it. <laughs> yeah, as as, as no, much as you want actually, that.
1: We've got a great system at the moment, actually, where what I realized about a year ago um, we could do to avoid delays because that is the bane of Create Our Own Comics in particular, you know, is um, as we bank the issues, you know, so we pay all the artists and the colorists and the letterers and everybody up front and then just bank the issues until the whole series is finished. And then you release it monthly. You know, it's fine. So it's very expensive to do. You know, I mean, sometimes you're spending, you know, a fortune. You know, you're spending maybe $30,000 or something on each issue, putting it together. You know, so so it's very, very expensive to bank them. But it's kind of worth it in the long run just not to get those delays. So what we're doing is we're running Jupiter's Circle at the moment as a monthly book between Volumes 1 and volume 2 of Jupiter's Legacy. Yep. Um, and Frank is just banking issues, you know. So he's just moving on to the third issue Of the five issue people, you know. So I think we should be ready to launch hopefully in the new year, which would be great.
0: So is that something you're going to do for all your for all your books now? Then is try to do it ahead of time, or is that just for specific artists that that have? Actually, for
1: everyone. I mean, even I did it with Sean Murphy, even though Sean Murphy is probably the most brilliantly reliable guy in the business, you know. But I just thought, why take any chances? You know, like just he could fall and break his hand or something like that, you know. So. And I, I, we're never really going well, to try and avoid having any kind of fill-ins or anything, you know, because um, I like consistency. So what, what we, we're doing is just putting everything in the drawer, you know. So the, the books that I'm working on now, people won't really see until the middle of next year in a lot of cases, um, which is kind of weird. You know, I, I've got a kind of one-year time difference. The artists start drawing them, you know, a couple of months after I've written the whole series, and then the book comes out maybe nine months later or something. So it's, it's actually a very efficient system. though. It's expensive, like I say. But I just think as a reader, there's nothing more frustrating than something being late. So my promise this year to everyone was that every book would appear on time. And so far, you know, we're in July now. And so far, they have to. And they have, nothing's even shipped a week late.
0: That's uh, very commendable for sure. I know that not a lot of people can do that. And I know there was some frustrations with some lateness. But, I mean, in the end, it was all, it was all worth it, quite frankly.
1: But, well, uh, it's funny, because as a kid, I remember, like, Watchmen issue 11, I think, was late, and Watchmen issue 12, and I remember Dark Knight 3 was quite late, it was a few weeks late, and then Dark Knight 4 was a couple of months late, I think, and we do forget, you know, in time, we do, nobody says, you know, 20 years later, oh my God, remember that chapter was late, you know, they say, <laughs> no, that book, was, that book was terrific, you know, so, um, so time does forgive you, but I, I just think, you've got a commitment to your retailers and your readers, you know, you've got, there's... The guys who run the stores, for example, you know they, they they depend on things coming out in time and the and the readers get annoyed if if things are late so so I made a decision last year and we all sat and talked about it and thought okay, it is gonna be expensive, but you know it's it's the right thing to do i think
0: yeah i mean you you gotta you got a lot of people to to play too, to to continue to get your series going and i mean it's got frankly it's got your name on it, so it's gonna sell as far as I'm concerned, but uh you know it's great to see consistency i know for some of the the big two books when they start getting four or five different artists on there it starts to get a little much for me and you know it gets annoying
1: so the, the consistency is really really good it's nice and see when I, when I look at the books, you know like uh you know as a fanboy i can't help but spread them all out all over my office floor and things occasionally you know and i just look at them and i think i'm so lucky to have these guys you know i mean to have the likes of Frank Quitely or Duncan Figreto or Goran Parlov or Johnny Romita you know, or Lenil Yu, Steve McNevin. just having these guys drawing these books is just fantastic. It's great, you know. So like, I don't want to see F- issue four drawn by somebody else. You know, I'm really lucky to have these guys on these projects, and I want these books on my shelves in 20 years' time to be something that I'm really proud of. You know.
0: Absolutely. You mentioned uh, Duncan there. Uh, one of my favorite artists for sure. He completely won me oh, over correct. for his Hellboy stuff. Um, and then MPH was just crazy.
1: Is there is there a follow up plan for that? Can you even say that? No, that was it was always a self contained thing. You know, like I, I, obviously I don't want to give the ending away, but the the ending ties everything up so neatly. You know, it's, it's, it had a nice little twist at the end, and it kind of that was the end of that story. You know, and that's again what I love about creator own because if I created MPH at Marvel or something, that'd have been a replacement team doing yeah. the book, and then yeah. be a, a replacement team two volumes later and everything. And it would have just got less and less interesting. There, there might be a little spike as somebody has a good take on it or something, but you're, you're probably going to have a lot of rubbish in there as well, you know. And the beautiful thing about your own is it's entirely in your hands, you know, because like, there is nothing more frustrating than doing something that you're proud of and then somebody comes in and wrecks it or takes it in a direction you wouldn't want or whatever. So there is something lovely that if anybody's going to screw this up, it's me, <laughs> you know, so there is, there's an honesty to that. Any other projects then with, uh, with Duncan? Um, actually I don't, I certainly would work with him again. In the heartbeat, we've got nothing planned at the moment. Like, uh, I've got the next two or three years planned out, you know, like, uh, I've got Huck, which we, we announced, uh, the image expo yesterday. Huck, um, launches in november and then have another project that's going to launch with an artist we haven't announced yet in spring and he's like my biggest steal this is a guy that i've stolen from one of the big two and like it's very exciting i mean i do love it you know i love being able to just come in and steal these guys it's fantastic i do feel like a cat burglar you know i'll do like a midnight raid on the big two and then steal their best guy you know and get him on one of my books and, <laughs> and and it is lovely you know and, and you know it's great as well you know like it's been good for the guys and everything too because Sometimes you do get caught up in that whole that world of the big two and everything, you know, and it's, you know, you're, you're Marvel versus DC, DC versus Marvel and everything. And you kind of forget that you're essentially working for someone else, you know, like these big offices that the big companies have are paid for by the sweat of the writers and artists, you know. And it's nice to just to own your own stuff. And, you know, I, I'm never going to own the Avengers or X-Men or any of the characters that I worked on. Um, and in twenty years time or whatever, I won't see anything f- from that stuff. So I do like the fact that when I'm older, I'll always own Kickass, I'll always own Wanted, I'll always own Kingsman and everything. It's there's there's something great about that. And we, I started this company to be as ethical as possible. And because as an industry, we've we've had a lot of guys over the years who've been really ripped off. I mean, we've got to the point again where you know creators aren't even being credited properly on on the, the movies for 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 the big two. Um, I think the Green Lantern movie. I think the creators weren't. I mean, it's maybe no bad thing. They would pro- probably be rolling in their graves at that movie, you know. But I think, <laughs> I think you know, the, the names weren't even on the credits, which is disgusting at the front of the movie. Even, even Siegel and Shuster, thirty-five years ago, had their name on, on Superman, you know. So, so the idea that we've taken a, a, a backwards step in, in terms of creators' rights is, is kind of embarrassing. But so, I, I wanted like all of my friends and the artists that I really admire, the guys that I like and who I just respect professionally to be alright, you know, and I wanted everybody to be co-owners and everything, so we have this really ethical kind of split where you know, we, we, we have the publishing rights, we have the merchandising, we have the film rights, and what I do is, I've built up over the years quite a good producer deal as well, you know, so I make sure that the artists are always given uh, producer credit, and we have the the producer money as well, and any uh, points that you get on, on the film. So it just means, in the future, their children or their grandchildren and all that will be looked after, that's that's the plan that's-
0: that's absolutely that's amazing. Awesome. I, I remember you saying something about that before, but, uh, you know, that's something that you just don't see, obviously, when you're working on, you know, Marvel and stuff. And I mean, a lot of even the, the smaller time creators, you know, create their own stuff can't hit that kind of success either. So uh, it, it's just really interesting and, and cool to see you, you know, take care of everybody you work with, making sure they all get the proper credit. And it's something that the industry as a whole certainly needs to look at and, you know, address and, and get everybody the same page you know
1: you know it will come in time because i think what will happen is uh, there's an osmosis happens you know like what what will happen is the creators on one book will say to uh, you know to, to the writer they're working with hang on a minute this guy's working on this book and he's getting this deal you know why am i not getting it here you know so i mean at the moment i think we've we've got about 12 um franchises and publishing terms that we've created Um, and maybe nine of them or something, I can't remember, have either been made into films or are in the process of being made into films. So that's quite a lot of creators who are already getting producer credits and becoming part of things, you know. And as that spreads, and it might take another couple of years, it's going to be unthinkable for a writer to get the deal and the artist not. You know, that's going to become unthinkable, because if there's a certain section of the artistic community who are being treated properly... Then you're eventually going to have that spread to everyone because nobody's going to work with the writers who don't share. For example, you know, that's true. You're going to have to just have the guys that are just writers and artists and do their
0: own thing and only want to credit themselves. (laughs) Uh, When it comes to uh, just seeing how you're mentioning the the movies and stuff, um, are you just approached based on you know what I like it, like Starlight, for example? I'm not. I I think I heard something about
1: it being optioned, but I'm I'm not sure. Um, well, Starlight's uh, very close to starting you know, pre-production. You know, we're we're actually very ahead in that. What's happened with Starlight is um, I I sell everything generally before I publish it, um, just because I'm so hyper aware of being ripped off now. Like I'll give you an example: Secret Service when the comic came out, Secret Service came out, whatever that was, 2011 or something, mm-hmm. and within a few months there was people, um, three different people that I found out about who were hawking screenplay around town, three different writers and one was a director as well, pitching a comic to studios but pretending they had come up with it as an original property, you know. And the weird thing is you can't copyright an idea. You know, all you have to do is make a couple of modest changes, change the names and things, and, and it is very easy to sell something, which is how you get a deep impact in an Armageddon kind of situation, you know? Yeah. So you are very vulnerable as a creator. You know, your 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 idea can be stolen and this can be two years work and Some swine has, you know, buggered off and nicked it, you know? So so that was the reason that Matthew Vaughn, the director, jumped off um, the second X-Men movie. He was planning on doing Days of Future Past. And he jumped off and did um, Kingsman early. He actually brought it forward um, by two and a half years, so that um, we weren't getting ripped off, and it scared off the guys who were uh, trying to steal it. You know, but this kind of thing does happen. You know, so what I tend to do is I tend to do the movie deal and get the process going before the comic is even announced. Um, I've got a very good relationship with pretty much all the studios, really. You know, so I, I'll talk to the guys. We sell the thing then we announced the book, but the thing is sort of underway. So Starlight, um, the screenplay has been written for about the last six months or something, you know, like uh, it's been being written, um, and that's uh, that's just been finalised just now. This a new draft of that that's just came in, and we're now looking for a director, you know, so it's great. It's, uh, I think Starlight, Crononauts, and Huck, I think should all be out um, within about six to 12 months of each other, you know. Wow. And I, I guess that'll be sometime in 2017, you know? You, you really like working, you, you know, way
0: ahead of, of release dates, huh? I mean, how, how far are you on all your on your writing projects? You're, you're like a year or two years ahead of, uh, ahead of everything. Of actual, release? yeah. I kind
1: of know what I'm doing for the next two or three years. The next two or three years, I know what I'm doing. So it is weird. I mean, there's artists who I love who who approach me like guys are really desperately want to work with and they'll say hey listen do you want to do a four issue or a six issue thing and I'm like are you kidding of course yeah and then they say when are you ready and I was like okay why don't we do it between February and August 2019 you know and they're like what <laughs> you know? so, so it, is, it is ridiculous you know but I just I'm actually so into what I'm doing I do love it that I do plan it so far ahead and Sometimes I will treat myself and write three pages of something that's not coming out to 2018 or something, you know, but, but generally I work about a year ahead. A year ahead's quite nice. And that means we'll be planning a time for the artist. And- I can't, I can't imagine having that much
0: planned out. I barely plan what I'm going to do tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> um, just because Kingsman is the, is the most fresh in my mind here. Um, uh, my wife and I went and saw that movie actually, and we both loved it. Um, she wasn't really oh, sure great. what to expect. And, uh, obviously the movie is fantastic um how much how much uh influence do you have on the actual um the movie itself because it was a little different from the comics like do you have any uh writing like do you sit on the, with the writers do you do anything with the drafts you or are you just
1: kind of like the producer here's my original idea and you kind of let them run with it um, it depends on who you're working with like i mean i i've got friends who for example just hand it over and walk away and i, I totally respect that because one of the nice things about being a writer is you don't get any hassle you know you just write your stories move on do the next story you know and like um and film is very collaborative you know film is 300 people and it's somebody loaning you 100 million dollars to go and sort of make something you know so there's compromise in film you know so like um what i tend to do is I, i've got a sort of a system but what i tend to do is i i i pick who i'm going to work with ahead of time so that I have some control over it and I'm going to be happy with it, you know, like, because you are essentially putting something up for adoption, you know, you, you, you want your baby to be taken care of, you know, so what I do is um, I'll select a studio sometimes. I mean, I've, I've got a couple of different ways that I work. What I did, for example, with Huck is I selected a studio that I wanted to work with, then I talked to the studio, like, I'm friends with most of the studio heads, so, like, I talked to the studio heads about a potential producer, you know, then the producer and I will talk about a director, and then the director and I will talk and the producer will talk about a writer. Um, and, and then you go from there. And then once the script's done, then you can go out to actors and everything. So it's um so you're very involved, you know, you're there from the absolute origins of it. And I tend to then pick people who'll allow me to remain part of the process. Because it is also quite normal for the director to just pull the shutters down and do everything themselves. But I, I do like to do with Marvel that I watched when I worked at Marvel, I watched Marvel were very clever like this. They were hung around as executive producers on every one of the properties to make sure it was going the way they wanted to i mean if you if you've got brilliant guys you're working with you don't have to worry too much but it's just nice to be a part of it and matthew vaughn's a fantastic collaborator you know matthew's so incredibly generous you know he'll he'll always but not just with me with everyone you know he'll he'll send around any thoughts you know that he's got or production designs or costume designs just saying what do you think of this and everything or you know, I, I get to look at all the um the casting editions and everything, usually because I live in Scotland. you know, I'm I'm usually watching it online at nighttime. I've got a little code to type in and I can watch how that day's editions have gone. Um you know, so all that kind of stuff. But you said you have a writer like Jane Goldman who's fantastic. You don't need to obviously give somebody like Jane notes, she's fun. she's brilliant, you know, it's going to be better than anything you could have come up with, uh, you've got a director like Matthew, you know he's, uh, he knows exactly what he's doing, you know so so I think as long as you're surrounded by good people you, you don't need to worry too much and I've been very lucky so far, I mean I've had four movies and I'm really, really happy with each of them and all the guys that we have coming up on films it's all super exciting, you know? I can't, I can't wait to see more of your stuff on the big
0: screen for sure. Um, we've got about uh, 10 minutes or so left here. I just want to talk about the idea of Miller World and how everything, mm-hmm. how everything is, is interconnected. I think it was uh, last year or the year before where you kind of said, hey, you're going to buckle down and, and yeah. start really showing how everything comes together. Uh, do you want to kind of talk about that for a minute here? Yeah,
1: it's, it's just a kind of fun thing, you know, I kind of like the idea of little easter eggs, you know, like, I like the idea of in the background of one book, you know, you see maybe Hit Girl running across a rooftop or something, you know, little subtle things like that and everything that don't really necessarily relate to the story, you know, just, or there's a television program that they're watching in Chrononauts that is also the program that Duke McQueen is watching in Starlight, that kind of thing, so, so I kind of like, that's the way the Marvel Universe was actually in the very early 1960s, that you didn't really see them come together that often. There was just a sense of them being in the same place, like everybody read the Daily Bugle, for example, you know, that kind of thing. Because I do think one of the big mistakes with a massive cohesive universe is that once they cross over too much, only the absolute diehards understand what's going on. You know, it becomes incredibly complicated because it's not just your story; it's everyone's story. And if it's all interconnected, then you need to have read everything or seen everything to understand it. And I think it's one of the weaknesses. I think that's starting to come into the Marvel films, actually, rather than the strengths. You know, when I see Thanos and everything, you know, or whatever the after credits and all that, I, I do find myself slightly groaning a, a, a tiny bit with this stuff now. You know, where I feel as if we're getting pieces of a, a film as opposed to an actual film sometimes. You know, and there's exceptions like Guardians is phenomenal. I mean, I loved it, and it was a very Cool self contained film, you know, but but I do think it's something we have to watch because it's something that happened in comics in the 1990s. That I stopped reading superhero comics for a while in the 90s because I just felt I was just reading a piece of a story as opposed to an actual comic, you know, yeah, so. I, I I I'm not crazy about the idea of a big sort of uh, connected universe that they're all crossing over with each other all the time. I think it could be special. Would it be fun to see Hank get a little fight in Nemesis or something? That that could be really cool, you know. So like, I'd like the idea of doing little special projects, maybe, or like I said, little subtle stuff going on in the background. But it,
0: it's not not as not as a, a cohesive universe as as like you said as Marvel is now or maybe was last year. Now they're kind of screwed up, but. Um, it's you know I mean I, I mean and some of the stuff is obviously on different timelines and this and that but it's not you know any given moment they're not all just going to run into each other and all of a sudden they're going to have to team up and fight a big
1: bad or something like that right like that's not do really you know, your they, plan they, well maybe, maybe one story like that it could be kind of interesting I mean the nice thing about the chrononauts for example is they can travel through time you know so you could have a young Duke McQueen appear in a story with that girl or whatever you know you could you can sort of do anything and I, but I, I think if I did it I would do it once. You know, I would just do one crossover. Like, I remember Secret Wars was really special in the 1980s because you'd never seen anything like that before. You know, so if you see them crossing over all the time, that uniqueness of seeing a cover with everyone on it is gone, you know? Yeah. So I do kind of like the idea that of using that really sparingly. But I also think it's a very wise long-term thing as well because I like the idea that you can pick up MPH or you can pick up Jupiter's Legacy or pick up Kickass. And you can just read it, you know, you don't need to you kind know, of make it part of a collection of things to understand it, you know, so so I, a, I love the self contained nature of comics too.
0: Um, are you, are you done with the big two stuff then for now? Are you, are you, you're just focusing on Miller World, you got no other plans to do, you know, like a Old Man Logan 2 or something as a,
1: as an example. Um, you're you you're know, just focusing on your funny. own stuff? I think, I, I think I could see myself doing something at some point. I'm great friends with the guys, you know, like, um, You know, I'm in touch with the Marvel guys all the time. Uh, They're guys I'll see socially when I'm in New York and everything. And the DC guys I'm very friendly with now, actually, as well. You know, and, like, um, I almost did a DC project about 18 months ago. Almost. It came so close, but I was just too busy, you know, just with... um, Because I ride two horses, I do the films and I do comics as well, you know. Right. And I just thought, I just couldn't... If I did, for example, an eight-issue... DC comic with Steve McNevin or something like that, you know, if I did Justice League for eight issues or something, that's like a Starlight sequel that I'm not writing or a Crononaut sequel, that two, two Crononaut sequels that I'm not writing, you know, if it's eight issues long, so there is always that part of me that I just see my own company is not getting something if I do something for one of the big two but then there is also that fanboy part of you as well that you think yeah, it really would be cool to do a Superman-Batman story or something, you know, like, because I, I, I do love this stuff. I mean, I, I didn't get into the industry to create my own stuff initially, you know, like, I, I just wanted to write Superman and I wanted to write Batman. So there is that part of me, there's that itch. It's a, you know what I'm talking about. It's a powerful yeah. thing if you're a fan of this stuff, you know. So, so yeah, I could definitely, I think I would be more likely to do DC than Marvel, I think, because um, I, I I did, you know, eight, nine, ten years at Marvel. So I did get to play with everything. The Ultimates, I get to reinvent the Avengers, got to write a big Spider-Man story, got to write a big Wolverine, did a couple of years on X-Men and everything, you know. So I got to play with everything, really, you know. Whereas DC, it feels very fresh to me. I've only written Superman, Red Sun and a couple of little fill-in issues of things, you know. I wrote a fill-in issue of Justice League, a fill-in issue of Batman, and, like, uh, when I was just starting out, the first thing I ever sold. Um, You know, so the idea of doing a big six-part Batman thing or something, you know, with... Sean Murphy or something like that would be amazing or for Brian Hitch and I to do Superman or something, you know, or, or to do Green Lantern with Frank Quietly or something like that. You know, I've got ideas for all of these things. You know, I've, uh, I mean, as a fan, I can't help just coming up with ideas. And I do write them down in little notepads and, you know, probably will use them someday.
0: You, you, you gave me goosebumps thinking of you and uh, Frank on Green Lantern just so you know.
1: I think it'd be great. I, can you imagine all the alien Green Lanterns and everything drawn by Frank Quietly and the alien landscapes and everything? It, Absolutely. It could be fantastic. You know, Absolutely. I also I, what an idea like i mean it's funny i mean i really do love this stuff you know like the dc stuff means the most to me it's the stuff i grew up with and you know my kids are obsessed with super friends and all that kind of thing you know i've, I've introduced them to all all the the, the great silver Age kind of dc stuff you know and like uh you know, the, I've got an Aquaman story. I'm, uh, there's not many people out there who are passionate about wanting to an Aquaman story. And <laughs> I was saying to Frank quietly, you know, maybe in five years' time, you and I should do that Aquaman story. Mm. And he was like, yeah, we'll see. I'll see how much I need the money, he was like saying. You know, <laughs> so. he, he didn't seem as excited as I was about it. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: I mean, at least Aquaman's got a, a little bit of a presence since Jeff
1: Johns kind of took him and remoulded him. But... uh I, I think those, those DC icons are just great, but I, I love them all. I love, I love Plastic Man, I love Metamorpho, you know, like, even all the minor DC characters are cool, and to me it feels very fresh just because, like I say, there's nothing I haven't really done at Marvel. You know, I've written all the major characters, and I didn't really grow up with Marvel as much the way I did with DC, so, like, I mean, like I always say, I've got, I've got Christopher Reeve's cape that I bought hanging on the wall of my office, so, like, um, yeah, you know, DC means so much to me.
0: That's amazing. Do you actually have that?
1: Yeah, yeah, I bought, it. I bought it about seven years ago. It was like my first, first big royalty check, actually. It was like the first time I think I got a check-in that didn't need to immediately go out and pay something. You know? so, like, <laughs> so I was kind of like, and most guys would, you know, buy a car or buy nice clothes or something, you know, and I was like, I'm going to buy Superman's cape, you know. That was the, the first thing that I bought. And it was just coincidental, actually. I saw an AOL News that morning. This is how long ago it was, AOL News popped up and it <laughs> said, Christopher Reeve's cape, is for sale uh, on eBay, and I remember thinking, well, "Who'd buy that?" You know, it's you'd have to be crazy to part with that kind of cash. And then as the morning went on, it was eating away at me, and I thought, "I'm never going to get another opportunity like this." You know, so so by lunchtime, I think I'd bought it, and uh, and I do love it. I must say, I absolutely love it. Anybody who comes to the house uh, always gets taken in and shown it as well. You know, to me, it's like it's the equivalent of like the in Shroud for Superman fans, yeah. you know?
0: Oh, that's amazing! Yeah, that's. Christopher Reeves, man, that guy has something else. Um, I think we're
1: running out of time here, Mark. No, I was just going to say, yeah, I think I've got another five minutes before I need to go and pick up the kids. But, like, uh, so where, where, if there's anything you want to ask me, it's no problem. <laughs> I, I'm still
0: thinking about uh, how jealous I am you got Superman's cape, man. Uh, <laughs> well, listen, come over and try it on. Come over and try it on. No big deal. We'll get drunk and try Superman's cape. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> Sounds like a plan to me. Okay, what else you got on the horizon? You
1: got anything else you haven't... Uh, haven't really discussed yet anything you can say any little secrets Uh, the the big one the big one is hulk um which got announced yesterday that's um you know at the moment um jupiter's legacy volume one's finished chrononauts is finished starlight's finished mph is finished and and the sequels are are being made just now but like um but the in in publishing terms we've got jupiter's circle the prequel to jupiter's legacy running at the moment that's going to run until spring next year And the next big launch is Huck, which I'm doing with Raphael Albuquerque. And I've been working with Raphael for a few months now. And I still can't spell Albuquerque. I have to go and check it every time. Yeah. And I don't know if this is like, <laughs> I don't know if it's, a, if it's a common problem for him. But I, I genuinely have to, to look it up every time I write it down. But he's, he's a genius. He's so good. I mean, people might know him from American Vampire, which is a terrific book he does with Scott Snyder. Who's like my favorite writer, by the way, you know. So, so I, I contacted Scott and I said, look, Raphael and I are interested in doing something. I know he's really fast but I don't want to screw up your schedule on American Vampire. I just want to check it's cool with you first, you know. I, I didn't want to, uh, to mess with his, his deadlines. And he said, no, he said, you wouldn't believe how fast Rafa is. He says Rafa can do like 16 books a year or something. And uh, so between between the two of us, you know, he, he, can, he can handle both of us quite comfortably. So he's, uh, he's on issue three, I think, at the moment of um, of Huck. So he should be done with pretty much the whole thing by the time we launch in November. And it's a real passion project for me. I have no idea where this idea came from. Like, it was just something I wanted to write. I was just sitting dooddling and I came up with this character. I wanted to write a really pure hero character. And, you know, I generally do stuff that's, um, you know, violent and objectionable and everything, and I love doing that stuff too. I love that Tarantino side of my brain, you know? But (laughs) the other side is the Frank Capra, sweet Steven Spielberg side of my brain as well. And I, I do, I love old movies and everything. And I wanted to do like a strong, silent hero, you know, like a guy who just did the right thing, you know. So I I created this character who is a big guy with learning difficulties who lives in Maine and he works in a gas station and he's just a nice guy And and he's got superpowers, which nobody knows about, you know, except the people around him in this tiny town where he lives. So... Everybody knows there's a secret in the town. Everybody knows a secret. He does one good deed every day, but it's something awesome, you know, because he's strong and he's fast, you know. So like um, the the whole world doesn't know about him, but he's in this tiny Frank Capra style town where everybody loves him, and every day he does something lovely for the people in that town. And that's the beginning. That's where the story starts, and then we find out where he came from and what it's all about. But I wanted to do a Frank Capra superhero story. Essentially, there's no costumes or anything like that. It's just a sweet little American folktale, you know.
0: Yeah, I see. I see here in uh, the release here, it's uh, Captain America meets Forrest Gump, kind of idea. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Just, just some, just some nice, you know, like Forrest Gump. You know, it's not sugary or anything like that. You know, it was just somebody who was just decent. You know, somebody who just did nice values and everything. You know, and and it's funny because in superhero comics even, you know, we generally go as badass as possible, you know, the cool scenes are the uh, the scenes where you see somebody getting the ultimate beat down, you know and but also at the same time I, I do love Donner's Superman where you see rescues and you see uplifting things, you know um, I think one of the things that's kind of almost weird with Man of Steel is not just obviously the neck break at the end and everything but just to to see Superman pounding guys it just kind of looks kind of wrong, you know I kind of like the idea of a character who's just out there doing nice stuff, you know. Um, so it's, it's a very unusual comic, but I'm really happy with it. And i I, I sent the uh, the first issue out to a bunch of friends, and they went crazy for it. And like my agent was like, "We've got, I've, we've got to get this to the studios." And I was like, "Hold, hold back just now, you know, hold back." But then I, I I sent it to a guy I'm friendly with who runs one of the studios, and he was like, "I want this," and he he, he bought it, you know. So we're we're in the middle of developing that at the moment now as well. Yeah. And is it a like a five issue mini like? got mbh or this is going to be longer this is going to be 18 issues long um it's going to be a big story actually um it's going to be three stories and the first one uh six issues and uh, then we'll get two and three as well so in total it's going to be 18 issues probably over about two years 18 issues over two years so there'll be little breaks kind of like saga does it'll take a little bit of time out uh, right. between volumes while we build up um the art for the next volume and it was really funny right i wrote the whole thing in about five weeks, the all six issues in about five weeks, which for me is incredibly fast. I normally write nine, 18, 19 issues a year, so for me to write that fast, I was just having such a good time. I, I couldn't wait to switch on the computer in the morning because I was so into it. I, I really uh, just had a great time on it, and I miss it, and I can't wait to, to get back into
0: it again. Well, now I'm even, now I'm even more excited for it just to hear your passion on that uh, on that story.
1: I hope you like it. You know, I'll, I'll send you a little preview copy. Actually, you know, like uh, I'll send you it like a month before it comes out and uh see what you think you know i think you'll enjoy it absolutely i will gladly sit down and read that uh um, and it saves it saves you three dollars fifty as well
0: <laughs> well no i have to buy it anyway every, every every preview copy that i read that i really like i buy it anyway oh great
1: oh i love to hear that that means i get i get 30 cents out of that or something, there you so go that's good buy you a piece of
0: candy or something <laughs> yeah Don't spend it all in one place now <laughs> but okay now i think for real that's it um I know you got to run, so I, I I can't tell you how much I appreciate this. Uh, I'm absolutely honored. I've been telling everybody for you know two weeks here that I'm, I get to interview you. Um, it's it's uh, oh nice. thanks,
1: thanks for the time thanks 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 for thanks for calling us up. Yeah,
0: no worries. It's an absolute highlight. I appreciate it. Uh, we'll have to have you on again sometime here when you get some more projects going. Some some of the volume twos come back. Um, yeah, get
1: me back. I'm around any time. I'm just sitting here in Scotland. You know, just <laughs> give me a shot. <laughs> no, no big deal. <laughs> <laughs> sitting sit here staring at my cape,
0: whatever uh, yeah, I will get you back on. Uh, the episode will probably run I would say on Tuesday and I'll, I'll send it over to you and everything and we'll we'll get it going And uh, yeah I, I again, I'm honored. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. No thank you. all the best and see you later. All right, take care. Bye see ya.